Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash. I am rain-soaked, but I am not a drip. Eb is not a drip either, but he is on assignment today. Come back next week, we hope. Thanks for tuning in to a special In Defense of Populism edition of Inside Track. We have another great show for you today. In just a few moments, we'll be talking to Wreaths Across America activist and friend of the show from the Oral Valley American Legion Post 132. Today is the final day for the Wreaths Across America Giving in July program, and she will tell you how to help remember our brave veterans this Christmas season. Our special guest for the entire second half of the show is ASU professor Donald Critchlow, Katzen family scholar, prolific writer, and author of his newest book, In Defense of Populism. I've been stalking him for about six months, and I'm very happy he will chat with us this afternoon. Oh my God, it's wet, and the monsoons are still active. Parts of Tucson were drenched early yesterday evening, and it looks as though this July will be recorded as the wettest July in Tucson's history. The electrical activity in the skies has been spectacular. And all this summer, did, did any of you see the amazing triple rainbow spears earlier this week up in the OV? Uh, I'm telling you, it was one of those really natural phenomena you, you'll remember forever. Maybe this is a sign of good luck and renewal for all of us here in the Tucson Valley. Insiders, don't forget to support Jean Fedigan from Sister Jose. The homeless ladies downtown have a hard time when it's raining also. Call Sister Jose Women's Shelter at 520-909-3905 and drop off your gifts at the shelter located at 1050 North Park. Our good friend and uh, KVOI uh, Wake Up Tucson host, Christy Simone, is throwing his 23rd anniversary party tonight to help Gene and the ladies. At KVOI, we all help. We all love helping Gene's angels. This portion of Inside Track is brought to you by my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, and his partner, Gary Imus, from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on socialist security. Call Eb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. I think Eb will be back with us again next week. Before we get to our first guest, Onita Davis, I have a few important thoughts to share with you. This week, from the president down to the governor's thankfully not Doug Ducey and most GOP governors, local officials also moved the COVID goalposts again, ordering masks up, mask ups, shutdowns, and the like to thwart the Indian variant of the China virus. These alleged well-intentioned or so-called well-intentioned public officials have created more, not less, distress for individuals, businesses, and government over a relatively low-level threat to public health across America, as well as Tucson and in Pima County. Yesterday's virus numbers in Pima County were zero deaths and only 106 positive tests out of a population of over 1 million. Yesterday's numbers have been fairly consistent in this low-level range during the entire July uh, month during the so-called spike. Locally, the mayor continues to overreact, announcing new restrictions, 
county officials have done the same. Even vaccinated people, according to these hysterical officials, are to be treated as if we had never been protected from the China-Indian virus. All of the while, from local to national officials preaching on radio, TV, and digitally, begging citizens to get vaccinated with tens of thousands of ads, even locally here this week, this is all going to make one wonder, why should I get vaccinated now if they're going to move the goalposts again? And I know because I'm dealing with it even in my own business. Weren't we assured that if we got the vaccine, we'd be protected from the virus, even the Indian variant? Now suddenly, this appears to be a false message. If this misinformation and vaccine hysteria and new restrictions were not bad enough, the same public officials who have made such a big deal about the danger to the country from the January Capitol breach, their words, not mine, these same people deny a significant border breach, which has likely allowed close to a million, mostly unvaccinated illegals from Asia, from the Middle East, from Mexico, from Central America, from South America, and from Africa where there have been deaths likely in the tens of millions. All of this since the new government erased the Trump border policies. That was a big mistake. Who knows? Because most of these third world foreign governments have no vaccines available. Their healthcare infrastructure is crap compared to the United States. Worse yet, nearly all of the illegals swarming the border are not being tested for the China-India virus. That's a big deal. And guess what? The same U.S. government is flying them all over the country for resettlement, potentially exposing many tens of millions of additional Americans to the same China-India virus they've been trying to contain for the last 16 months. Who knows how many illegals have the virus? This, friends, is what's called political malfeasance. This, arguably, could be one of the worst abuses of public trust in our nation's nearly 250-year history, which, by the way, is being helped by their media comrades, social justice warriors, and fellow travelers in popular culture. How long will we allow this abuse and lack of public attention to our national safety continue? I have long held that the Democrat left's fascination with promoting illegal immigration as an election strategy is pure evil. As 19th century Democrats promoted state-sponsored human slavery to create great wealth for them, they now are using human rights as their rationale, as they seek to use these voting slaves to promote their deadly social engineering, twisted ideological politics, and eventually a dystopian society, which they hope to permanently control. Now is the time for Americans like you and me to stand up to these power-hungry political connivers and thugs. When we go to the polls in 2022 and beyond, remember their anti-liberty and dangerous actions to subvert our country and the public good in the home of the brave and the land of the free. Make your voice heard at the ballot box. Mr. Producer, let's go ahead to our first break. When we return, Onita Davis with Reese Across America will join us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. 
A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Ask not... What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911. Welcome back inside track this portion of today's show brought to you by our friends jamie and gary kipper from tucson iron and metal surplus they have some of the best surplus steel materials in stock ever to help you with your next home project and a big shout out to eric rudin and his professional team at essential pest summer rains mean more critters and vermin threatening your home or, or business Call the Essential Pros at 886-3029. These are two great locally owned family businesses you can depend upon. Eb and I do, so should you. I'm thrilled to welcome back our friend Onita Davis to Inside Track. Wreaths Across America is a special cause we've supported for many years here on the show. The July uh, the the Giving in July program ends tonight at midnight. Welcome to one of the OV's greatest volunteers, Onita Davis. <laughs> Greetings, Onita. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. Yeah, so, uh, so I, I know you've been kind of taking it easy during the summer uh, up in cool country, uh, but you've been hard at work, haven't you, also? Absolutely. First of all, I'd like to say that I am just really humbled by the opportunity after the wonderful comments that were made before the commercial. And so thank you for all you do. Um, Reads Across America has started a new program that they call Giving in July. We did it last year and the year before. And I'm getting a lot of questions about why are you doing that. Reads Across America happens in December. Why are you bothering us in July? And if you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment to explain why we are doing what we're doing. Please, please. Okay. Uh, first of all, Roots Across America has been very successful. 
But one of the issues that they have been dealing with is that, of course, all the orders come in at the end of the year, and it absolutely overwhelms the staff at Reese Across America. So the idea came about, maybe if we could get people in the habit of knowing that they can donate any time during the year. They do not have to wait until the end of November. And by doing that, we can spread that volume out a little bit and make reefs across America operate more efficiently. So that's one of the reasons. The second reason is that they are using reefs across America's giving in July to share the message that you can have a two-for-one impact when you donate a wreath. Uh, many people think, okay, it's $15, it's for a wreath, it goes on the veteran's grave in December, but what are we doing to help the veterans during the year? And so this is an opportunity for those of us who belong to uh, charitable organizations to explain to you that whenever you donate a wreath, you really have a two-for-one impact. Because wreaths across America, for every $15 donated for a wreath, will give a charitable organization $5 of that $15. And it must be used to remember, honor, and teach. And that's exactly what the Aura Valley American Legion Auxiliary does with the $5 buyback that we get. So, so, so that, so that really, that really is um, uh, a great explanation. Well, I'll, I'll let you get back to it more in just a second. But, yeah. but the first thing that the first thing that you mentioned, Onita, is so crucial because in the past, even on our show, you know, we've started, you know, in in October or November, and you know, um, it just it's harder to get everything put together for you, for the volunteers, for, for the officials with Reese Across America. But I guess I guess the biggest thing that, that I'm hearing anyway, and perhaps our listeners are thinking the same things, is this isn't just uh, a bunch of people who round up a bunch of wreaths. And, <laughs> and I mean, not, not to say that it's not a, a, a wonderful privilege and honor to do, uh, you know, to, to put a wreath at, at the uh, a graveside of, of a brave American. But but to help veterans who are alive, to to uh, help with programs, this is this is huge because we know the the issues that that our veterans, whether they be th- those few left from the Second World War or or many still alive uh, from Korea and and even more from uh, Vietnam and now uh, from from the wars in the Persian Gulf, uh, there's lots of issues to address, isn't there? Oh, my goodness, yes. And that's why we really uh, want to take the opportunity in July to share that story with people so that they're not thinking that, well, you, you, you're, I'm donating a reef, but, you know, in two or three weeks it'll go in the garbage, and what have we done with the veterans who are left? So, for example, because we are the American Legion Auxiliary, um, we use the payback that comes back to us when you sponsor a reef through us. We have a technical education scholarship program for high school students. We have the Girls' State program. This is how we fund the four young ladies we send to Girls' State each year or attempt to send if we can get the candidates who attend a week-long program. 
uh, to learn about how our government works. And then in addition to that, we use the dollars to help our veterans in need. So it really is a wonderful way to feel like you're really contributing to the veteran community. And I know times are tough right now for our veterans between COVID and the heat. Um, So I can't stress too much how important it is for us to have you support us with the placement of a wreath. So, um, Onita, uh, I'm thrilled that there's still uh, a girl state, and I assume there's also boy state uh, that the American Legion uh, promotes. I I was a participant uh, in that program as a high schooler, uh, as as well as other, uh, you know, sort of model government uh, uh, operations, and it really does make a difference in in uh, the lives of those of those individuals who are fortunate enough to be selected. It's a big deal. It, It. you know, we, we yeah, saw really Bill Clinton, is. for example, you know, he was a Boy State participant in 1962 or three um, and, uh, you know, later became president of the United States. <laughs> exactly. um, uh, OK, so there so there are some people, you know, maybe, you know, should have stayed home in, in Arkansas. But um, <laughs> uh, but but it, but it's a but it's a great but it's a great program. And and, you know, one of the things that we've all missed and I, I've been to a few of them myself are the ceremonies uh, when the wreath layings take place. And unfortunately, last year, we weren't able to have uh, a wreath laying. Uh, Talk to us about plans that are in the works uh, for uh, the ceremonies this uh, December and, and, you know, how extensive it's going to be in the Tucson-Pima County area. I wish I could speak for all the cemeteries, but I can't because each cemetery will decide on its own exactly how open it wants to be. For example, East Lawn went ahead with their ceremony. Uh, Marana had a virtual ceremony, but they allowed a small number of people to be present and, you know, to actually lay the wreaths. And I wish I could say that at this point, I know how it's going to play out. I thought I did before all this talk now, again, of masking. Um, It is our hope that we will be able to be open to the public. Now, let me make it clear to everyone that although there were restrictions as to a general uh, attendance by the public, family members of those who were buried at Marana, for example, were allowed to come the day mm. before, and the mm. times were just staggered. Mm. So, mm. Oh, it's not like you can't do it at all, but it may very well be that we will once again have to experience the staggering of our numbers so that we can um, abide by whatever rules are in place. Because, for example, Marana is a state-run Facility, so we yeah. have to abide, abide by the state rules, whereas East Lawn or South Lawn or Holy Hope are not, or Evergreen. So it's difficult to speak for all of them. But if you go to wreathsacrossamerica.org and you put in the name of the cemetery that you are interested in, you can do that at any time, and it will give you the latest information. Onita, how many how many veteran uh, gravesides uh, here in uh, in the Pima County area are there? About? Oh my gosh! Uh, given that 
Evergreen has something like 16,000. I think we must be close to 50,000. I mean, we have a huge veteran population buried here, and we're including Sierra Vista, which is another state cemetery. Right, right. Um, So, yes, and believe it or not, last year our goal at Marana was uh, 1,200 wreaths, and we're trying to acquire 1,800 this year because we are losing so many veterans every day. Yeah, and and that's the case. This is a this is um, this is something that's only going to get bigger. It needs to get bigger as as the years go on, as as the veterans pass. Um, for, for people who want to be involved, this is the last day. It's it's July thirty first. Go to www.wreathsacrossamerica.org forward slash a z. That's alpha zebra. Zero zero one one P is in Papa. This is how whether whether you make a five dollar gift or a five hundred dollar gift, insiders, you can help uh, the youth of of our city and county. You can help veterans, and you can help remember all of all of our veterans uh, who have yeah. uh, fought and served our country. Onita, you are just the most awesome lady. Uh, and thank you very much for being on the show today. We will have you on several times between now and Christmas. Uh, we want to make sure that all of the goals get hit. And let's keep our fingers crossed. Everybody's going to be able to the, to go to these cemeteries and lay wreaths Amazing. across so many of the of these grave sites. Thanks very it's much for being on the show. Wonderful opportunity. Thank you very much for your support, past and present. Take care. You betcha. You you Bye-bye. you have my support. All right, Mr. Producer, you bet. Let's go to the bottom of the hour break. When we return, we will uh, introduce for our listeners here, Dr. Donald Crutchlow, and he'll be talking about his book uh, on populism. Stay tuned inside track. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to inside track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street, Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. 
we are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here broadcasting remotely from Coronado, California this afternoon. Eb is on assignment. Before we get to special guest, Dr. Donald Critchlow, now is a perfect time to call Corazon Cabinets to get a jump on your next home improvement project. No supply and chain problem on cabinets being available at Corazon. Joy and Allie have their 6,000 square foot warehouse stacked to the ceiling with beautiful cabinets ready for your next home project. Call and speak to the design professionals at Corazon Cabinets, 488-2266. I have Corazon Cabinets coming into my home shortly, and you should also. On to our special guest for the remainder of the show today, Dr. Donald Critchlow. A little background on Dr. Critchlow, formerly an associate professor of history at the University of Notre Dame before moving to St. Louis as a professor of history, uh, and since 2010, when he accepted a professorship uh, in history at Arizona State University, uh, and and since uh, 2016, uh, Donald was named the Katzen Family Professor uh, in the Program in Political Thought and Leadership at ASU. He is the founding president of the Institute for Political History, a nonprofit education foundation that sponsors policy, or the Policy History Conference, graduate travel awards, and other academic and historic projects. He's also been a visiting professor at the University of Hong Kong in the late 1990s and the University of Warsaw in, in Poland in the late 1980s. We may touch on that later. He's lectured extensively. In addition, he's been a guest speaker throughout America, Europe, China, as a State Department distinguished lecturer and as a Fulbright scholar. His most recent book is In Defense of Populism, University of Pennsylvania Press. Other recent books, and I haven't read these others, but I, if they're as good as inside uh, um, uh, um, uh, his, his current book, uh, you definitely want to uh, look at uh, the following. Republican character from Nixon to Reagan, future right, the forging of a new republic, and when Hollywood was right, oh my God, that was so long ago, how movie starts, uh, movie moguls, and big business remade American politics, many other notable writings as well. Welcome to the show, Dr. Critchlow. It feels like I've been stalking you for six months. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for uh, having me, and good afternoon to all your listeners. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, broadcasting uh, down here in uh, the area south of the Gila River. So why is it, do you think, Dr. Critchlow, that politicians on the left today, their media partners and leftist thinkers, say populism uh, is about demagoguery, xenophobia, racism, and illiberalism? And why is it that populism gets such a bad rap? Yes, well, uh, I think what we're uh, confronting in America today is oligarchy uh, incorporated. Uh, we've seen a march through the uh, through our institutions uh, for, in education, the media, entertainment, and now corporations. So uh, there's uh, concern that the uh, among the uh, oligarchs that uh, the people are uh, resp- responding. So in uh, in the book in defense of populism. I show that uh, populist movements have been essential to uh, reform. They were largely uh, 
left-wing progressive in the early years, uh, and that actually, uh, and the government responded by creating a large administrative state. But beginning in the post-war period, the right began to uh, respond in various ways, and they've been uh, successful. In the uh, anti-abortion movement, I think has been a success. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Phyllis Schlafly's uh, crusade against the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s uh, stopped that. And now we're seeing... Uh, a rise of, uh, of populist movements that uh, are uh, are given toward patriotism and uh, and defense of the uh, of the country and its uh, values. So after hmm. writing uh, after writing in defense of populism, I have a new book coming out. Uh, it's called uh, Revolutionary Monsters. Uh, it's about uh, revolution revolutionaries, Lenin, Mao. Castro, Mugabe, who was in uh, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and uh, Khomeini. So uh, we can also see uh, popular uh, populist uprisings uh, being taken over by uh, demagogues and tyrants, as we see, as I expose in, uh, in Revolutionary Monsters, which will be published by Regnery uh, this September. So mm-hmm. not all uh, popular movements are good, but I really hope that uh, that everyone goes out and purchases a, a copy of Revolutionary Monsters for their uh, for their children and grandchildren and spread it around because we're now facing a crisis in this uh, in this country. So, in your book, in defense of populism, it says right in the introduction, "quote The grassroots movements and populist movements are essential to American democracy." Talk about that, please. Yes, I think the uh, there's uh, every uh, our founding fathers were very concerned with uh, with uh, with uh, elite control, and so we they created a, a democratic uh, republic government, and uh, they saw as essential that the voices of the citizens needed to be heard. Through through elections, and uh, and also the right for free speech, which involved uh, the right to assemble, uh, and that assemble meant uh, in the right of protesting uh, government uh, policies. So our founders understood the importance of uh, the voices of uh, the people, and you do not get democratic reform, in my opinion, without the mobilization of the people when. Uh, you have elitist uh, control and elites only concerned about local power without uh, principle and making money without uh, principle, as we're seeing in the case of uh, many of our corporate uh, leaders today. So um, your new book, uh, talking about people like Robert Mugabe and Khomeini and, and, and others, there are some examples of how um, uh, populism and grassroots efforts and so on did not turn out for the good. Um, and, and there's probably been plenty of failures. Uh, talk about some of that uh, for us, please. Well, I think the uh, cr- critical to understanding, uh, to understanding uh, revolutions is to make a distinction between political revolutions that try to uh, change the political uh, form of government as our founding, as our revolutionary founders uh, did. It was a political revolution, and distinguish that between uh, 
social revolutions, which try to create uh, uh, equality or equity, as uh, as uh, the progressives now call it. When you try to create a perfect uh, society and an imperfect world, it's going to lead to uh, tyranny. And we see this, uh, we see a pattern in revolutions from Lenin, Mao, Castro, and Mugabe, and Khomeini, is that uh, revolutionary ideas first seep into the uh, youth. Uh, they begin reading things like Marx and uh, anti-imperialist uh, tracts and, uh, and books. And then these ideas begin to take root. Uh, the uh, the elites uh, fail to uh, respond, governing powers in uh, undertaking meaningful uh, reform. And then the next step is uh, kind of a, a, a mobilization of the masses. Uh, and often <clears throat> and what emerges is a tyrant who uh, <clears throat> claims, excuse me, <clears throat> who claims that uh, he's going to bring democracy and reform, uh, but instead they uh, they only bring um, uh, terror to their regimes, which is which is led in the case of uh, uh, Russia under Lenin and Stalin uh, and uh, Mao, uh, Castro uh, and Mugabe and Khomeini to basically uh, executions of. Uh, and imprisonment of millions of uh, millions and millions of uh, of people, but it begins with uh, bad ideas being uh, so in the first place, and those ideas not being uh, countered. So that's why shows such as yours are important, Bruce. So, Donald, um, recently, uh, General Milley, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, talked about how important it was uh, for military leaders and, 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 and students in, in the military academies and so on to, to study uh, the writings of, of Marx and Mao and, and, and so on, all of these different leaders that, that you've just talked about. And, and he thought that that was a great thing and it shouldn't be restricted. Um, but I guess really the issue was for 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 the for the uh, for, from the right standpoint was there's no context perhaps being given or not proper context being given to those readings as there was you know for probably the last century we were trying to we were trying to by reading Marx by reading uh, Lenin by understanding what was going on in these in these other uh, political cultures and and religious cultures we were trying to find out how we could be better and stronger as a result of that that's now gone isn't it for the most part well yeah well I think uh I think uh, reading Marx, uh, if you could get through him and Lenin and so forth, Mao, uh, is uh, is worth doing. But also needs to be placed within a context of right. understanding our constitutional uh, principles. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, courses on the uh, importance of our foundational principles in American exceptionalism and remembering that our democracy is relatively uh, young and still quite fragile as we're experiencing is just as important as reading, uh, trying to read through uh, Marx and Mao and so forth. Yeah. So uh, I think it's uh, good to read to read those uh uh, those people, if, if, if that's necessary to understand the uh, our enemies, but it also needs to be placed within a firm foundation 
of, uh, of, uh, of what we stand for as a nation and our values and the importance of the Bill of Rights, separation of power, and the concern of, uh, of uh, unregulated uh, power, which we're now experiencing. So that's one of the things that we do in this program I run an Arizona State uh, program for political thought and, uh, and history. We, we introduce uh, students to uh, debating issues, uh, understanding abstract principles, how they're applied in the real world and historical uh, discussion. And uh, so when you read, uh, so when they read Rousseau or Machiavelli, they have a, a context for understanding uh, those, uh, those thinkers. Context, context, uh, context, you know, uh, so important. So next question, um, is Donald Trump a populist? Uh, well, uh, let me return to Milley for one second. But he went yeah. beyond just reading, uh, saying that he read Marx and Mao. Uh, he also said that he, was, he defended teaching critical race theory in the academies. Uh, because uh, he wants to understand uh, white rage. So critical race theory is uh, it's just, it, it is a theory, and it's rather a contradictory theory, but it's one of uh, basically uh, des- designating people by race and emphasizing uh, uh, racial characteristics and totally ignoring any kind of individual character and so forth. So he went beyond that. Uh, and just saying he was reading things and therefore he was reading critical race theory, but then defending that this is being uh, taught in our academies and our, in our, in our Navy and armed services. Uh, so, you know, I, it would be better, in my view, that the, uh, the military academies and uh, our armed services spend more time understanding our values this became, by, by the way, a real problem uh, that emerged in the Korean War when our captured, uh, when North, captured POWs couldn't defend, uh, captured by the North Vietnamese and the uh, Chinese communists, couldn't defend what America uh, stood for. And so they were easily uh, brainwashed. Uh, and so at that point, the uh, military began to offer uh, courses uh, uh, on American uh, American foundational uh, principles. So without having those kind of foundational principles, it allows for uh, propaganda, left-wing progressive uh, propaganda. And in this case, critical race theory is really is quite uh, is a quite destructive one because it really promotes tribalism. Yeah. Uh, it, it promotes tribalism, and that's what it's doing right now. I, it, it is a destructive instructional uh, 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 instruction that is now uh, uh, spread from out of the universities into K through 12 education. And anyone yes. who thinks this is healthy is, uh, is just dead wrong, in my opinion. Hmm. So getting back to the question again, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thank you very much for, for also stressing uh, what uh, General Milley said about uh, critical race theory, um, and my, my applaud to you for that. Uh, so back to Trump. Populist? Yeah, I think he, uh, I would put it uh, 
slight distinction. He tapped into a populist uh, sentiment that was uh, out there, and uh, populist movements have usually been against. Uh, they're against uh, established oligarchy, oligarchy power. But he was able to direct that energy not to an out, out from outside protests, but redirected to the uh, Republican Party. So he tapped into a populist uh, sentiment that was out there uh, that was concerned, as many people were, uh, about uh, the immigration problem, the border problem, uh, being called racist and homophobic. Uh, And most people, uh, uh, whites, Hispanics, and even blacks, didn't like to be called uh, homophobic or uh, racist. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was one of the things he tapped into, as well as kind of a larger cultural war. So he was able to express those feelings and win uh, win election in 2016. So it seems to me, and I'm not a scholar, just an observer, and probably not the best of that either, uh, but it seems that outs- outsiders are often considered populist when when they run, you know, these these men and women who come from other fields and, and enter politics and public policy arenas, you know, uh, they're considered to be populist and not in a favorable sort of a way. You write in your book, quote, um, that the transition from grassroots activism to party reform when it occurs is not linear. And, and I could see that having operated within the Republican National Committee for 14 years. When, when Don, and I don't want to make this all about Donald Trump by any, by any stretch. We're going to talk about lots of stuff here. But, but th- that, that reform, that party reform was not linear in the case when Donald Trump sort of exploded on the scene, won the nomination, and became president of the United States. Uh, do you have any other examples besides maybe the Trump revolution where this happened, where, where, well, where obvious, it's not linear? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, most social movements for reform uh, have their ebbs and flows, and sometimes they might take uh, uh, decades, to, uh, decades to have an influence. But I think the the best example of a politician capturing a populist uh, sentiment was Andrew uh, Jackson. Yeah. And yeah. Although, yeah, I think there's uh, kind of good comparisons between uh, uh, between uh, Jackson and Trump. I think the major difference was uh, between the two, without getting too much into the weeds of history, uh, the details of history is that. Jackson was uh, uh, actually an experienced uh, politician, and uh, he was able to uh, win re-election. One of the problems uh, Donald Trump had, and uh, I voted for him, I wanted to make that clear, uh, I want to make that clear, but he, he didn't have a lot of uh, experience uh, politically. And so that, that played out in all kinds of uh, ways in his uh administration in terms of getting staff, being able to uh, fill appointments in regulatory agencies, which are critical. We see Biden, by the way, taking full advantage of regulatory uh, uh, agencies in all kinds of ways, from uh, climate control through uh, critical race theory. So, I mean, there were, you know, so that's one of the issues of having, uh, you get someone who taps into that sentiment 
they may come out of the blue, blue uh, as Trump did, and voice those concerns. But uh, without experience, it's hard to uh, have mm-hmm. implementation of your goals. Now, he may have uh, succeeded if he had a second term in addressing many of these uh, issues. But because we have uh, just one other point, because we have such a polarized uh, uh, electorate, uh, uh, we have uh, he was handicapped, especially after the first uh, two years when Congress uh, changed to really uh, pursuing uh, his full political agenda. So a lot of it was implemented through uh, executive uh Orders which were which have been overturned by Biden, as we see in the uh, in our uncontrolled uh, borders right now. Of course, the the other area that that uh, President Trump made an enormous amount of uh, change was in uh, judges. Uh, I've always said that the elections for president of the United States are about judges, judges, and judges. And in this particular particular case, it's it's a little too early to to make a final determination. But appointment of all of those federal judges does appear to be having uh, some um, uh, impact uh, even uh, today, uh, less than a year into the new Biden administration, wouldn't you think? Yes, I think that's a really uh, astute point, uh, Bruce. Uh, It seems right now there are quirks or the last uh, bastion of Mm. uh, defense of of liberty in this country. We have a number of... uh, religious liberty cases coming up before the court. Uh, we have uh, abortion coming up before the court, working, working, these cases working their way through the uh, judicial system. But judges are important, but we need to do more than that. And that is that we really need to begin to uh, elect uh, our representatives that are going to express the, the need for uh, for, for reform that we're all uh, demanding. I mean, the Republican Party should uh, stand as, uh, as, a, as a voice for uh, real reform and not apologists for uh, runaway uh, corporations. So yep. the one thing that I think Trump has uh, accomplished, although it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to have to be played out in a very... Uh, uh, perhaps a really bloody way is he's really changed uh, the Republican uh, Party uh, in terms of its uh, constituency. We still, as you know, being down in Tucson, that the suburbs are critical and the Hispanic vote is uh, critical. And I think we, the Republicans have made real uh, headway under Trump and others in uh, winning over the Hispanic community. But we, we need more. We just can't rely on, uh, on judges uh, in the yeah. end to preserve freedom. We have to preserve liberty and freedom for ourselves as people. You know, Dr. Critchell, one of the, one of the problems I have uh, being a radio host is I usually try to fit 12 pounds of poop into an eight pound poop bag. Uh, let me move, uh, let me move along just a little bit. What are the differences uh, you, you talk about in the book, but there are differences between American populism versus European populist movements, isn't there? Yes. I think that's, uh, that's critical to uh, understand. Uh, there's a strong tradition of uh, a force of authoritarianism in uh in the uh, in Europe, 
And so many of the populist uh, leaders uh, that have been elected, both in Europe and seeing in Hungary, Czech Republic and other places, as well as Latin America, Brazil, they actually face uh, forces uh, to the right of them uh, that, uh, you know, that are quite authoritarian and have... Uh, have uh, uh, authoritarian, even fascist, fascist uh, connections. The Le Pen's so, uh, in France. Yes, and uh, uh, and I think that is uh, that's critical. We do not have, uh, at least we didn't up until maybe perhaps more recently, a really uh, authoritarian tradition. But surprisingly, perhaps uh, not too surprising to uh, you or you or me. Folks coming from the uh, from the left. So all the so the Democrats are trying to paint uh, the fear of white supremacy, which we all uh, fear, but they're making it to kind of a, a major force uh, as as confronting our liberty. And they and the progressives are the greatest threat to our liberty at this point, in my opinion. So Antifa, BLM. Uh, their populist movements, uh, AOC, Bernie Sanders, they they sort of represent also uh, a populist movement. Would you say, or or am I wrong about yes, that? Yes, I think I think up for grabs right now is uh, Sanders tapped into this popular populist uh, sentiment uh, as well. AOC is doing that. Uh, there's uh, they see some of the uh, problems. Uh, that uh, of, uh, of, of oligarchy uh, control here, but they, their solutions to the problems are creating more, uh, you know, are going to create more authoritarianism. And basically they want, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're socialist. Uh, and, uh, and so the, so Trump captured the, I think a, a larger sentiment, uh, of populism that had emerged within the uh, Republican uh, Party. So uh, make it uh, short, basically there's a fight who uh, right now in this country who's going to capture uh, the populist sentiment in the uh, the electorate among voters. Yeah, we, we have three minutes left, Donald, and let me get to some. You were you were in in Poland right after uh, the changes there. You were in Hong Kong at the time of the handoff. Um, are the are the anti-government grassroots protesters uh, in Hong Kong and Cuba? Um, uh, do they have a chance of success, considering the the absolute power that those totalitarian governments have over those people? Yes, I'm uh, in Poland. Uh, I was there not only during the change, but while the change was occurring. Mm-hmm. When I first arrived in uh, Poland in fall of '88, uh, I think uh, many people were uh, many Poles that I talked to were quite uh, discouraged uh, that there was going to be uh, reform. But what was absolutely essential in Poland. Uh, is the is the importance of uh, the Catholic Church that was being the Polish Catholic Church in opposition to the regime that was being supported by American unions as well as the uh, Reagan administration. So uh, in China uh, today and Cuba, 
they they have created a very and they've been in power for many years. They've created a very totalitarian state with neighborhood watches, so they can mobilize not only the police and the armed services, but they can organize a neighborhood uh, communist uh, group, communistic uh, organized groups, communist organized groups within the neighborhoods to go out and smash any kind of uh, protest. So at this point, I'm not very uh, optimistic. And we see in Hong Kong, uh, and I was in Hong Kong for a year uh, and uh, returned uh, often. What was important about Hong Kong Donald, is that the, Donald, we're, yes, not, Donald we're, we're, at a, we're at a time, and we're, we need okay. to continue this conversation at, a, at another time. In Defense okay. of Populism, published by University of Pennsylvania Press, it's a great read and important in today's political times, friends. If you're interested in understanding how to create change, it's available online at all bookstores. Thanks for joining us. And hey, I hope you enjoyed today's chats with uh, Don Critchlow and Onita Davis. Join us all through August for more great guests like author and thinker Charles Murray, as well as old friend, now political thriller author George Bardmesser. Until next Saturday, for Eb Wilkinson, this is Bruce Ash. Thanks for joining us and wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. so. Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911.